Okay, great. Um, yeah, so as Phil said, this uh, paper is based on uh, part of my PhD um, thesis, which is in its final stages. Um, I did qualitative fieldwork in a multi, the only officially multi-ethnic district in Bosnia-Herzegovina in 2007-2008. Um, I don't know how well people uh, know the case of Bosnia, so I'm sorry if I either say too much or too little about it, um, but please ask for clarification afterwards if you'd like it. Um, but this district has is important because it has a separate status to that of either of the two political ethnic entities which were established in the peace agreement in 95. Um, it has its own supervisor, which is usually a, a, a white American male, and there's huge amounts of funding um, it's really seen as a sort of a, a, a laboratory, I guess, for lots of um, interesting experiments in reconciliation. Um, it's been heralded as, as a big success story. So it's a sort of semi-protectorate in, in, in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Um, so my research, as you can tell by the title of the paper, is really concerned with the critical exploration of reconciliation and citizenship. Um, in many ways, it's quite... Um, theoretical and I hope that my work does have relevance for cases other than Bosnia, although that's what I'm going to be talking about today. And I'd be interested to hear what if people got insights from other country contexts and um, to do with the same issues I'm going to be speaking on. So firstly I'm going to speak a little bit about the theoretical background of the work. So talking about reconciliation in terms of restoration of moral and political community. Um, then I want to say something general, I suppose, about reconciliation and citizenship in Bosnia-Herzegovina and Bruchko district, where I did my fieldwork. And then um, I want to say something about the fieldwork material, and in particular about two case studies, um, one of which was local community representation of a displaced persons group with the district government, and the other one was uh, an informal student protests that happened at the time of the ethnic integration of the high schools in the district. So taking two key reforms that are part of a multi-ethnic reconciliation agenda of the district. So um, reconciliation, which is the key uh, topic of my research, I'm sure you'll agree has really emerged as a bit of a buzzword in sort of concerns with transitional justice and uh, post-war societies and peace building. Um, it's, this is emerging in the context of the sort of the new walls thesis and the increase in intrastate violence we were discussing this morning. And also um, this sort of merging of the development and security agenda, which Anne Hoffler actually illustrated really well in her presentation, which has been quite heavily criticised by other scholars. So I just wanted to take a, a quote from um, Duffield's work. Um, who says that contained within the shift in aid policy towards conflict resolution and societal reconstruction, northern governments have found new methods and systems of governance through which to reassert their authority. Liberal peace reflects the existing consensus that conflict in the south is best approached through a number of connective, ameliorative, harmonising and especially transformational measures. So what you've had is a context in which there is greater intervention, greater complexity of intervention, a shift towards a focus on social transformation, social actors as opposed to warriors and combatants. Um, and this has sort of broadened, I guess, the spectrum of what intervention is allowed to include. And I just wanted to take another short quote from um, Supplement to an Agenda for Peace uh, by Beatrice Garley, which says that another feature of such intrastate conflicts is the collapse of state institutions, especially the police and judiciary, 
resulting paralysis of governance, a breakdown of law and order, and general banditry and chaos. Not only are the functions of government suspended, its assets are destroyed and looted, experienced officials are killed or flee the country. This is rarely the case in interstate wars. It means that international intervention must extend beyond military and humanitarian tasks and must include the promotion of national reconciliation and the re-establishment of effective government. So this is the context in which reconciliation has become increasingly important in the last 10, 15, 20 years. So what do we know really about reconciliation? Well, the scholarship on reconciliation is, is, is quite varied and generally under-theorised. Um, but I think there are three key points of debate in the literature that are worth mentioning here and sort of illustrate different approaches to reconciliation. So the first one is a debate between approaches which see uh, reconciliation as instrumental. So you need reconciliation for peace, you need it for stable political government, you need it for economic development. And then there are approaches which see it as a goal in itself, as representing human securities and freedoms. Um, and then there's a second uh, division between approaches which see reconciliation as an ongoing movement or process, so necessarily incomplete. And then approaches which see reconciliation as an end of movement, marking closure. Then there's a third division where reconciliation is approached as a normative project, where you have a focus on the healing of communities to restore a, a peaceful future through the restoration of moral community. So you have consensus over the agreements of sort of social behaviour and morality governing social behaviour. Um, but you also have those who approach reconciliation as about the restoration of a political community and national unity. So of course these different um, approaches overlap really in theory and practice. But generally reconciliation scholarships tended towards much more normative approaches which focus on healing and the restoration of moral community, uh, about creation of empathy through contact, so the contact hypothesis from social psychology has been very influential in reconciliation work. And criticisms of these approaches highlight their tendency towards a sense of closure, of seeing reconciliation as an endpoint, um, of prioritising consensus and national unity over what some authors really see as a stuff of democratic politics, which is the ability to contest you know, social and political membership and to conflict about those things. And also, they've been criticised for lacking an appropriate understanding of context um, and commonality. So really, my research starts from this point of criticism of those approaches to reconciliation, of looking towards a politics of reconciliation, um, which has been um, usefully defined by some other scholars to say about um, politics of reconciliation as putting to question what increasingly, and more and more alarmingly, is taken for granted in uncritical calls for reconciliation, which too often come to signify in the political discourse of our time the call not just to put the traumas of the past behind us, but also, in a sense, to put behind us the very politics of the past. So what I'm really interested in in my research is asking what the political we, the political community is, that reconciliation approaches necessarily require. Within that, what type of political subject is a reconciled subject? Um, and to really start to explore a very underexplored dynamic between reconciliation and its citizen, reconciliation and citizenship. Um, so to sort of to turn to the, the case study itself, um, because of obvious time constraints, I'm not actually going to talk about the historical development of citizenship in Bosnia pre-1992. Sort of um, this isn't to say that it's not important. It's extremely important in influencing the ways in which citizenship is understood in Bosnia today. And if people are particularly interested in that, we can talk about it. 
um, but I don't really have time to go into it now. So the sort of the pertinent points I want to draw out from this sort of background to the context is that during the war in 1995, there was a narrowing of political identification. So access to citizenship became founded on ethnic group, identity and ethnic group allegiance. So you had a split in Bosnia uh, between the three main ethnic groups, Bosniaks, Bosnian Serbs, Bosnian Croats. Um, the, these ethnic identities became increasingly politicized and questions about political community of who is in or out of political community became a matter of life and death. And then in 1995, uh, the Dayton Peace Accords established what a local um, scholar called Asimoykic um, has referred to as an ethnopolis. So the Dayton Peace Accords have been criticized for solidifying the gains made in, uh, during ethnic cleansing territorially. And it's created a political state structure and where your political representation is linked to ethnic group affiliation. It's a consociational democracy, um, two ethnic entities, uh, three, a tripartite presidency, which isn't, you know, a man, a woman, a transsexual. It's a Bosnian Serb, Bosnian and Bosnian Croat. That, that's how you're defined. That's how the state sees you as a political subject. Um, but this has actually been in uh, tension with a, a nation-building project being pushed by international actors to establish a Bosnian unity, a Bosnian identity, or to re-establish, depending on your perspective. So uh, international actors imposed an anthem, a flag, and a currency, which were new um, after domestic politicians were unable to agree. And research in Bosnia suggests that, um, that there's a real stateness problem now that what you actually have is a buy-in by Bosniak members of the community into this sense of state, of a Bosnian identity, and a disaffection by members of the Bosnian Serb and Bosnian Croat populations. I mean, that's a massive generalisation, obviously, but the, ten, but the trend tends to be that there's a, this stateless problem. It has legitimacy in the eyes of some members of the community and not in others. So Butchko District has been established in this context. Um, it was in 1999, um, it was awarded its unitary um, status, it's pursued very aggressive reconciliatory reforms, they have a multi-ethnic assembly which operates without a national ethnic veto like they have at the state level, they've integrated the judiciary, the police, the school system, it's this massive success story of return and reconciliation. Um, the approach to reconciliation in this case has been very much based on contact and integration, of creating a sense of understanding of the other, of an active citizenry, citizenry people actively participate in multi-ethnic projects and groups, um, but also of a sense of closure. So reconciliation now is seen as being achieved, and the, the, the discussion, the public discussion about the district now is about uh, attracting foreign direct investment, playing a key role in the uh, movement from Bo of Bosnia into the European Union. That's the key political agenda now. So I went to do my research there and I chose a formal um, space of citizenship, which are local communities, and a less formal space of citizenship, which was public protest. So in the first case, um, formal representation of local citizenships in the district occurs through representative bodies affiliated to territorial parts of the district. So you have a territory, so the suburb of the town, suburb one, will vote a a steering board and a president who will then take demands from the district government. The district government will decide whether or not to give them funding for a new playground, an education project, for example. Now, during the war, these um, local community representative groups became ethnically homogenized. 
and displaced from territory. So what happened was, say, a Bosniak community living in suburb one of Britchko town would be forcibly displaced. They would take their Miesenzajnica. So Miesenzajnica of Britchko suburb one would actually be in the village of Rahic, you know, 30 miles away. But then along the front line, you'd have the development of parallel local community representation. So in Britchko district suburb two, you'd have one representing Bosnian Serbs, one representing Bosnian Croats, one representing um, Bosniak. So a key part of the multi-ethnic reforms of the district were to integrate these groups. Um, there's an interesting case of, um, of a small urban area in the east of the district called Brezva Polje, where a displaced persons group, Bosnian Serbs who are displaced from central Bosnia, are now demanding separate representation to the local Bosniak population. This has been denied by the district government on the basis that it's ethnically divisive. But I did interviews with the Bosnian Serb population, and these really highlight that there are, the whilst ethnicity is important, it interacts with other very salient concerns for them, some of which are political economy concerns, so they have very low standards of living and high unemployment levels because of their marginalisation as both a rural community and a displaced persons community, not necessarily because of their Bosnian Serb identity. Um, so the question of ethnicity for them really interacts with these other salient categories that can't be taken into account by the district government because it's so preoccupied with the relationships between ethnic groups and with establishing multi-ethnicity. Um, so uh, the points at which ethnicity did become important were at crisis points to do with political representation, so through the local community, and also in um, joining together associations and deciding who would be the president. So ethnicity was extremely important, but in particular ways and in particular times. Um, and in many ways, the political discourse about ethnicity coming from the elites, they found exceptionally frustrating because they didn't want to only understand their questions of representation in terms of the ethnic or multi-ethnic lens. And the second case study, if I've got time to, yeah. The second case study was one of the student protests at the time of the integration of the high schools in about 2000, 2001. So um, in Britchko town, there was the Bosnian Serb population was attending the schools, and the forcibly displaced Bosniak and Bosnian Croat population were attending parallel schools in the villages surrounding the town. The government decided this, wasn't, this would not fit in with their multi-ethnic reforms, and a big part of their agenda was to bring, to bus in the students, the Bosniak students, back into the town and to start going to school again in mixed classes. Now, at the time that this policy was announced and started to be put into practice, there were massive student protests, both from the, the, the students who were already going to school in the town, the Bosnian Serb students, and the students who were being bussed in, mainly Bosniak students. Schools were closed for a month, and the government changed their policy to having a graduated integration program. So year by year, classes would be integrated, till eventually, after seven years, you had a fully integrated system, which happened a couple of years ago. So official documentation on the protests and interviews I did with government officials dismisses them as agitation by ethno-nationalist politicians who are unhappy about the establishment of the district, who'd interfered with um, the school system or manipulating impressionable teenagers to get them to go out and wave flags and, um, and you know, break. There was cases of breaking the windows of shops owned by Bosnia residents, for example. But I was quite interested, actually, in what the motivations were of the students who'd taken part in the protest, particularly given the context of now an integrated school system, which there haven't been any further protests after this point. Um, 
So what I found when I did interviews with students who had taken part, so these are, these are retrospective narrative interviews, which raises all sorts of methodological problems, obviously. But when I did interviews with them, they really suggested that they had their own very specific motiva motivations, that they were political actors in their own right. They didn't necessarily fit into this logic of ethnic conflict or, or ethnic um, coexistence. So I did um, just general interviews with all of the students, and some of them suggested that it was like they were caught up in the fervor of protest and their classmates were doing it, so they wanted to do it, and it looked kind of fun. Um, some others said that they were just felt really unhappy that this class that they bonded with for six years was going, was going to be broken up and they weren't going to have their graduation photo together. There's going to be loads of strange kids they didn't know in their photo. Um, others said that they were afraid that if the, the Bosniak students came back to school, that would mean their parents would come and they'd want jobs and houses in the town and it would create all these kind of tensions and insecurities for them and their families. Um, and I also did uh, manage to find three students who'd chosen not to take part in the protest despite being part of the Bosnian Serb um, main high school where the Bosnian Serb protests had started. And I went to go to interview them to find out why they hadn't taken part. One of them was a very interesting woman. She, was, she described herself as pure Bosnian Serb. Her mother and her father were Bosnian Serb. But she'd lived in Germany during the war. So when she came back to school about a year before the, they were integrated, she looked kind of crazy. She was like, no one wanted to talk to me because I had punky hair and I wore combat trousers. And she didn't write Cyrillic, which is the Bosnian Serb script. And so when it came to the time of the protest, she wasn't expected to take part because she wasn't seen as being Bosnian Serb in those important ways. Um, and so she could really distance herself from that. Um, the second student I interviewed was a Bosnian Croat who was very well integrated into the Bosnian Serb school, but also had friends in the Bosniak and Bosnian Croat populations who were being brought back into the town. And she would describe walking through the town with her classmates and waving to her friends, her Bosniak friends, and, and then her classmates saying, why are you waving to them? And she kind of had to toe this line of being integrated into one system but having networks with another system. And she managed it very well through her own personality and making choices about what she'd say about the political situation. And then the third person I interviewed had a mixed ethnic, uh, mixed ethnic background. And she, for most of her life at school, had been too afraid to say so. And so when her classmates assumed she was Bosnian Serb because of her name, she didn't tell them otherwise. But then at the point at which the protests happened, she really felt that she had to come out almost and declared herself as not associated with her classmates. And this was a really important um, uh, point for her personally. And in fact, she doesn't feel comfortable coming back to the district now and isn't in touch with any of her classmates. So really, like those, this example of the student protest really shows that, in fact, the students didn't conform to ethno-national logic and that they made choices based on you know, their own personal political convictions, their friendship groups, their own experiences, their desires to complete their education system to have a good life like anyone else. Um, but, in, but in narratives of that experience of the district, it just doesn't fit in. So the closing remarks, which I suspect I have to make briefly now, um, four things I wanted to say about these two case studies. So one is that the primacy of ethnic identities in the integration formula of reconciliation of this district really denies the realities of experiences for ordinary residents, or can do. The second point linked to that is that ethnicity is important for people, but its interaction with other social and political categories is what makes it interesting, and we need to understand that dynamic to really be able to grapple with questions of reconciliation. So categories of rural and urban, newcomer, returning are very important, and there's 
huge, I mean, this isn't new in terms of literature on Bosnia. Plenty of other people have been saying this a long time before I did my PhD. Um, the third point is that multi-ethnicity of the district and its conceptualization of reconciliation as an endpoint really depoliticizes the task of reconciliation and really fails to take into account the demands on people to be either ethnically neutral or part of a unified political community won't necessarily resonate with how they understand themselves in relation to the people that they share social and political space with. And then the last part is really that when we want to talk about using reconciliation to, to get transitional justice for sustainable peace, that we have to bear in mind that post -war, in post-war societies, the nature of the citizenry and the nature of the state will be contested and that any calls or expectations for unity or restoration of community imply a certain type of political subject, which isn't necessarily going to resonate for people on the ground. <coughs>